Here we are um, uh, on a weekend that we're remembering, or at least supposed to. We're remembering what happened and the impact, right? We're remembering people who, who sacrificed their lives and the impact and, and that it has on us in the here and now. Well, it just got me thinking. We're, we're in our final message in our series on the revela- revelation of Jesus, and we're going to look back and remember. And it, it made me think. I just started to track all that we've collectively gone through, usually you're dealing with your thing, I'm dealing with my thing. But now, like we're all dealing with our own things and the same thing. We're in the middle still of a global pandemic. I, I like to forget that, but we're, it's actually, we're still in the middle of it. And if you read about what's happening in India and Vietnam and other places, it's still a real thing. Our brother in Jesus is in the hospital right now wrestling with that. That's, that's going on now. And um, I was driving in the gorge going out towards eastern Oregon a couple weeks ago, and I just saw the remnants of the wildfires, which were just, like, that was last year, right? (laughs) It seemed like it was eons ago. The wildfires that we had to deal with in the middle of all this. And then uh, this is the year anniversary of George Floyd, and and, and it's bringing up all the, the images you're seeing of all the protests and all the division and all of the rioting and all of the hate and counter hate and and all of the madness that's still going on, that's like all collectively this year. And, and, and then we're still wrestling. Some of you have been told by your employer, you got to stop working in your PJs. And you're like, you actually have to show up somewhere, right? <laughs> so you're like, like, your whole work life has been radically shifted. Some of you will never return to work life as usual. Others of you are still wrestling with the implications. You want to be with people, and they're like, no, stay away. You have a bug or something. Like, don't, don't come to the office. We're, we're, this is all like this year, endless and endless Zoom meetings. Um, we're, we're navigating a lot. And you may have forgotten, our church didn't meet for six months. Six months in a row, never in the history of Christianity has globally the church not met for so much of a year. So much so, I have a lot of pastor friends and ministry leader friends, we're all wondering, is anyone going to come back ever? You know, and, and our church, probably 30%, maybe 40% have returned to our on-site gatherings here um, since we opened up in September. And so this is, an, we're all going through this together. Some of you joined our community in the last gathering, I talked to two teachers who had walked out. They didn't look familiar. They've been coming for a while. They're like, but this is the first time without a mask. Here's what we look like. And it's like, wow. And I'm like, have you been here long? No, we, we started watching online. And then we decided to come in person. And so this, is, this has been a shift. So it's 30, 40% of our community has come back. And then some people who are here are newer and, and are trying to make the connection point. And then there's this huge gap. And every community, every church community is going through it right now of wondering, where is a major chunk of humanity? Where are they? And as leaders, like you love everyone and you want to know some are in another community. They've, they've joined another church. And that's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful as the Lord takes his people and says, hey, in this season, I want you to be with this family. That, we rejoice. We celebrate. Uh, there's, no, there's no anger or disappointment. We rejoice that people are growing in Jesus. But I am telling you right now, there is a large chunk of people who are nowhere, who are still re- wrestling with their faith, wrestling with what they think about church, and wrestling about what that looks like for their future. And so 
we're, we're, we're all going through this together. It's just amazing we're all still in the same room right now. <laughs> I'm just shocked that any of this is still working. And what we want to do is in light of all of that, Remember what the revelation of Jesus is all about. If you're new to the study, you came at the right time. This is like cliff notes. You don't, you don't have to watch the whole thing. I'm going to give you the whole thing in one, in one sentence. All of what God is trying to say in this last book of the Bible is summarized in the last line of the Bible. How does the Bible end? Let's just read it together. Revelation 22. I promise you we're going to have a message on one line. I kind of told the truth. It's one line, and then I'm going to give you 30 lines to expound on the one line. <laughs> Preaching prerogative. Verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Let's just say that together. And even if you're online at home, say it out loud. One, two, three. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Now I want you to help me out because your amen was slightly stoic. So what we're going to do is we're going to end our amen with a screaming southern drawl. Well, you, could, you don't have to do the scream, but we're going to do amen. All right? One, two, three. The grace of the Lord Jesus be Oh, y'all are just amazing. Yeah, amen. So how does the Bible end? I want us to catch this. The Bible ends with a word for you. It's a word for you. And by the way, it's not just the end of the Bible. It's how the whole last book of the Bible ends. How do I know that? Revelation 1, 4. The beginning of the revelation gives the hint. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. So John is God's servant to the God's people in God's space. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, which is speaking of Jesus. So the last book of the Bible is a word through the servant, John, to God's church. Grace and peace to you. And then the problem is... If you've been around church, you kind of think you know what grace is because it's a, it's a church word. It's not a, a word, unless like if you're, you've come from a tradition and before you do a meal, you, someone says grace, right? We don't use this word as it's often used in the Bible. So what I want us to do is today think about, because the last line of the Bible is about grace. What is God's grace and why does it matter and why are we supposed to be a people who are to be saturated, enamored, filled, growing in grace? That's the goal for today. Let's just start with a working definition. One of my mentors, and he lives here in Portland, uh, Gary Brashears, he's just a friend to so many. He's got a great one-liner. Here's what it is. Grace is God's amazing goodness freely given to undeserving people. That. Now, there, there are multiple dimensions to this, but I think it's a great starting spot. It's, it's God's amazing goodness that's freely given to undeserving people. So here's what's really important, the first word, God. So when we think about grace, we're, we're supposed to immediately be drawn to something. The Bible word grace. Grace, the way we use it in our culture, may be different. But for us who are thinking Jesus-minded is grace is God's amazing work that's freely, freely given to undeserving people. It's about God. And so 
When, when I think about giving grace to someone, it's never something that's mine. It starts, it's rooted in, it's rooted in God. How do we know this? Because we read the whole Bible. I encourage you, when you think about any verse in the Bible, see how that Bible word or phrase or verse connects with the greater story of what God's doing. So we're going to do a quick review of what the Bible says. Where do you get the concept of grace? Well, it's rooted in God. Because God had a people that he called by his undeserved free gift. And it was this people called Israel. Remember, he found a guy named Abram and said, I want to bless the whole world. Here's what I'm going to do. I choose you. Why? We have no idea. God said, you know what? Abram, you trust me. I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind. You don't deserve it, but I'm, I'm going to take your family and out of your family is going to come the savior of the world, Jesus. That's, that's God's plan was to say like, Abram, you come from nowhere, but from you, people in 2021 in Hillsboro or online are going to experience my abundant goodness through you. That's just, that's grace. So he has his people, these people get in trouble. They end up growing as a family, but they're in Egypt, they're in slavery, and they can't live as God's people. They're stuck. And God says, I'm going to get you out. That's grace. They cry out to God. God rescues us. He says, oh, sh sure, I'll come. And he sends Moses, and Moses is used by God. And they come out, and then Moses, who walks with God, like a friend of God, Moses says, God, show me what you're like. I, I'm leading your people. Show me your glory. And you know what? You know what God says to Moses? Sort of. I, you want to see me, which is like, how many of you would love to see God in his fullness? Like, you just see, like, enough of talking about it. I want to see him. Well, the problem with that is God is so overwhelming, <laughs> uh, you couldn't stand. You couldn't make it fully in God's presence. So what God says is like, hey, get behind a rock. I'm going to pass by and I'm going to give you something that's better than like a selfie with me. It's way better. I'm going to give you my name. Because when you know my name and who I am and what that means, that's really going to change your life. And I think when we get to know God's name and what that means, it's going to change the way we see everything. What's God's name? Well, Exodus 34, 5 through 7. Look on the screen. It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, Moses, and proclaimed his name, Yahweh, English, which is the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord. And, and this is what his name means. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Now, at this point, God seems like Santa, doling out gifts. No, but look at the rest of it. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So God says, this is who I am. My name is Yahweh. What does Yahweh mean? It means compassionate and gracious it means slow to anger. It means abounding in love and faithfulness. And yes, God does see and judge. But the contrast, he shows love to a thousand generations and he does punish sin to the third and fourth. 
The number contrast does not mean God is mean to kids and grandkids. It's, it's a word play. God's love is to thousands. His love, his forgiveness, his grace is way bigger than the moments where he has to judge sin. This is what God is like, compassionate and gracious. So when you think how the Bible ends, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people, amen. Here's what it means. The God who's revealed himself wants to flow in the lives of his people, this gracious, compassionate, loving, slow to anger, abounding, growing in love and faithfulness, forgiving. He wants to do this in God's people. He wants to do this in us. Amen, Lord. May it be this way. When, when God's people heard this, Israel heard this, this is how they described God. And for centuries, people would remind themselves, because they went off course all the time, just like we do. They remind themselves, wait, don't forget who God is. I'm going to give you just two. This line about God is repeated again and again and again. It's the most quoted Bible line in the Bible. God's name is repeated. That Bible verse about who God is is the most repeated Bible phrase in the Bible because God's people remembered it. And sometimes I'm afraid we forget it. So what we want to do is have this last message in the series, reminding ourselves of who God is and what God wants to be like to us. Two examples, because sometimes God's people get off course. Nehemiah 9, 17. This is Nehemiah like reminding them of what God is like. They refused to listen, speaking of Israel in their past, and they failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. So God's people went off. But, notice, you are a forgiving God. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. This is God's people reminding themselves of what God is like. Even when they cast for themselves an image of the calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies because, speaking of God, of your great compassion, you didn't abandon them in the wilderness. God's people have been off. Often. And so what do leaders do? They remind the people, don't forget what God is like. And when we went off, God in his loving kindness and compassion brought his people back. It's repeated again, 2 Chronicles 30, verse 9. I'm just giving you two. I could give you dozens. If you return to the Lord, then your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion by their captors, and they will return to this land for... The Lord your God, and it's going to sound familiar, is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. This is what God is like. And so what we need to remember, if you're a Jesus person, if I'm a Jesus person, is in the midst of our very big challenges. And look, I just listed at the beginning our challenges. I didn't mention on top of that throw the other layer of your challenges. The interpersonal challenges, the people that are just annoying you or you're purposefully annoying. Financial challenges, jobs that have been lost, 
jobs that seem insecure, jobs that don't pay as much, or jobs that are paying more but are stressing us out. We all have our challenges right now. I didn't didn't mention the stuff going on in our soul. This year has been really good for some people who say, you know what, Jose, I'm coming out of this pandemic with a deeper faith in God. Like, I, I feel like God's presence is more real to me now, and I'm not grateful for the pandemic, but I'm grateful for what it's done to my soul and how it's, it's pruned the way I see God in myself. Wow, that's some. Um, I'm equally talking to people like, Jose, I'm starting to wonder if everything if I've been, that I've been taught, if any of it is real anymore. I just don't get the God of the Bible and life right now. I just, how can those two competing thought, God is loving, compassionate, gracious, abounding in love, faithfulness, forgiving, all that, and in India, people are dying and left, left and right with no medicine. And by the way, we have so much that it's spoiling. And, and the people, how, so, so we're, we're in that space. But I need to remind you, like the Bible right, remind, uh, Bible speakers reminded God's people again and again and again. Don't forget in the middle what God is like. People are not always gracious, compassionate, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving, but God is. And what we need to do is not, not superimpose how people have been and say, well, that's what God is like. Because sometimes what happens is like, well, all Christians are fill in the blank. Well, for one, the moment you said all, you lost me. Because you don't know, you don't even know a lot of people, let alone all people. So to say that all Christians or even most Christians are anything is only a sign of ignorance because you don't know that many people. But the moment we, we take what's happened in this world by people and what happens is we can't help it, we, we superimpose that back on God and say, well, God must be we forget what God is like. And what the Bible ends with is what God is like. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Because that is the storyline of the Bible. God has always been faithful, even when we are not, which is good news. And by the way, I love to read the Bible because it's, it's honest about our shortcomings. It's very honest about how men and women, young and old, have all disobeyed and all gone off. And it's very honest about God's reaction whenever anyone comes to him with an open and honest life and heart and says, I have failed and I'm looking for mercy. Do you know what they get? Read the Bible. They get mercy. Now, they often do get also repercussions. Doesn't mean that God's mercy implies there's no results. David is a man after God's own heart. David sins horribly, doesn't repent. After having an affair, he ends up murdering this innocent woman's husband. After that, he doesn't repent, and he hides the whole thing. And God in his love and mercy shows who he is, and he judges sin, and and he's, he's found out. And David is loved by God, But you read the rest of David's life, and it is shrapnel. It is absolutely heartbreaking to realize how his son tries to kill him and take over the kingdom. So there are natural repercussions of our rebellion. But you know what? David dies 
and goes to be in the presence of God because God is gracious. The end of his life is him going into the presence of the God who loves him because God is filled with grace. Okay, that's the first part of the Bible. Let's quickly look at what the New Testament says, and then we'll, we'll think about three things. There are three things that grace is about that I want you to drill in your soul as we move on to a new series starting next Sunday. How is grace used in the New Testament? Well, it starts in the Gospels. John 1, 14 says, The Word became flesh and, and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, notice, full of grace and truth. I don't have time to get into the details, but you know what John is doing? He is taking Exodus 34, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, forgiving, but not forgetting sin. He is basically taking the name of God and saying, this God is the word who is Jesus. It seems subtle, you can go right by it, but John, in no uncertain terms, is saying, the God that's revealed himself in what we call the Old Testament is now seeable. Moses wanted to see what God is like. And God says, no, you're gonna know my name. But then John, by the Holy Spirit, tells us we can now see what God is like because God has come to us in the person of Jesus. So, if you want to know what God is like, all you need to do is look at Jesus. Side note, it's why those of us who follow Jesus cannot accept the cultural pressure that wants to say, hey, Jesus is a great guy. And of course, Jesus did some miraculous things. We're not sure if they were real, but we'll We'll say he was a miracle worker. We know he was a profound teacher because the world has been shaped by his ideas. But, but calm down when you keep saying that, that Jesus is like the way. Well, we can't accept that because God tells us the unknowable God is now knowable and seeable and he is in Jesus. So Jesus is more than just a teacher or a guru or a miracle worker. He is grace and truth embodied in one person and he's like no other. So keep, you know, stop trying to make him lower than he is. He's God made flesh. And so Jesus is filled 100% with grace and 100% with truth. So this is huge. When you think about what Jesus is like, Jesus can come to someone, uh, a couple are caught in an act and they catch the woman and and they're ready to stone her because the Bible says that anyone caught in adultery must be taken to outside of the city. And as, as enacting justice, she must be put to death. So they grab her and they find Jesus. And they're ready to, to literally enact justice because what we want is we want justice, right? We want, want, want wrongs to be made right. And so Jesus lovingly says, okay, great. The person who's without sin, why don't you be the first person to throw a stone and give her justice. So Jesus, who's 100% grace and truth, can say, I know what's going on in your heart, and why don't, why don't the innocent one really give her justice? And one by one, they walk away. And at the end, this is so telling, at the end, Jesus looks up as he's writing on the ground, as he does, evidently, and he's writing on the ground, and then he says huh, to the woman, hey, where are your accusers? And they're, 
they're gone. Well, they don't condemn you and I don't condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. And that, my friends, is God. If you want to know what God is like, when people are exposed for what their life is lived like and where they're headed, you don't see Jesus yelling at them. Rather, he looks around to the hearts of the people who are judging and says, why are you so judgeful, uh, judgmental when, when your own heart has its own need of God's grace? And so he's not so squishy. Grace is not squishy where it forgets sin. At the right time, God speaks to her and says, it's time to leave that life. And I believe she probably became one of Jesus' followers. A great, you know, I know what God is like? When, when God, in the person of Jesus, is walking on a desert road, his buddies go into town, they go to, to Costco, and they go to look for some food. So the 12 disciples go to Costco. They're not sure if they should go in or out with a mask or without a mask because just, it's confusing for them. Not in the Bible, but it makes sense to us. And so uh, as they're shopping, Jesus is by a well. It's the middle of the day, it's hot. And a woman comes, no one else is there. Why is no one else there? Because no one with a brain goes in the Middle East and gets water in the beginning of the day. Only fools do that. And she's considered one of them. Why? Because she's had five husbands and the guy she's living with right now is not her husband. And so she's so filled with shame. She's so ashamed of her life that she won't even go have, get water with anyone else. Who wants to be yelled at? Who wants to be laughed at? Who wants to be mocked? Who wants to be rebuked? Nobody. So she goes to get water when everyone else is at home. And she's by herself, but God is there. This is funny. God is at the well. And so if you want to know what grace looks like, grace looks like God saying, hey, I'm going to make time for you. Everyone else is in the shade, but in the middle of the heat, I'm going to sit with you. And he says to the woman, could I have some water? Like, you're not supposed to talk to me. This is like wrong. Like, I'm the bad one. You're the good one. And you know what God is like? I've got time for you. And I'm not embarrassed. That's a funny one. Some of us think like, well, God would be embarrassed to have me close. He's actually not. How do I know that? Because Jesus is there. And he knows her story. As a matter of fact, he tells her a story. Like, hey, uh, just so you know, I know you've had five husbands and the guy you're with right now is not your husband. And you know what he does not do? He doesn't say shame on you. Isn't that interesting? You think if, if God were there, he would say, these are the 15 reasons you are not worthy. You know, what, you know what God is like? I've got water that's better than this water. She's like, give me the better water. And, she, and she's told by God, the better water is living water when God cleans you from the inside. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm telling you what God is like. When God cleans you from the inside, it's like rivers of living water come out of you and your life is different. And she's like, I want some of that. And I know someday when Messiah comes, he's gonna bring that. And Jesus is like, let me tell you a secret. I'm, I'm that one. She runs to the town, tells the town, you gotta, you gotta meet this guy. And God, this is, you wanna know what grace is like? God changes his itinerary and spends a couple of days with them. So some of us think, well, God didn't have time for me, or 
I kind of missed my opportunity and God's interested in the holy people and God's interested in the religious people and God's interested in the, the really, you know, have it together people. It seems to me like God is willing to change his plans and spends time with her and these people. Why? They want him. And this is, this is the crazy thing about grace is it doesn't look like us, does it? <laughs> I wish I was like that. But this is what God is like. And it's like uh, the worst cheat in town, Zacchaeus, who's in a tree trying to get a gaze at Jesus. And you got to catch this story because if you miss the details, you miss the point. Jesus speaks to him while he's hiding in the tree and says to the crowd, Zacchaeus, I'm going to have dinner at your... By the way, everyone wanted Jesus at their house. And you know what God is like? He finds the most crooked person and says, forget these people. I need to have dinner at your house. And Zacchaeus says, yes. Why does the Bible end with the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people? Because this is what God is like. And God is like finding the seemingly worst person in the city and saying, hey, if you will let me in, I'll come in and you'll be with me, and I'll be with you. And I'm going to teach a lesson to the whole city. And by the end of their little dinner, what happens? Zacchaeus says with Jesus and his guests, you know what? It's time for me to fess up. And I'm going to do what's right. And if I've stolen any money, I'm going to give it back. And I'm going to do above what the Bible says. Because the Bible says if you've stolen something, you have to give a little bit of interest. He's like, I'm going to give a lot of bit of interest. And, and Jesus uh, I'm, I'm going the better way. And, and Jesus says to the whole world, because we have it in the Bible, salvation has come to this guy's house. Not because Zacchaeus is a really stand-up guy, because he's not. And the woman is not a really stand-up woman. And the woman caught in the act of adultery is obviously busted. But friends, this is what grace is like. The, the challenge of understanding grace is realizing how crazy it is. It's crazy, but this is what God is like. So I promised you three things. Let's just think of three things that are fundamentally what the Bible says about grace, and let's figure out how to live this way in the coming days. I think the first dimension of grace you can't miss is saving grace. What's, what's saving grace? This is what we know really well because we talk about this all the time here at this church, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's by grace that you've been rescued or saved. And how is it? It's through faith. It's through trust. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, and it's not by works so that nobody could boast. So one dimension of grace, and don't overlook this, is that you are not on the path to life with God. You're actually on the opposite path, but grace gives you the opportunity to get on the right road, the road that leads to life. And it, you don't get that by doing good. You don't get that by trying harder. You don't get that by coming to church. You don't get that by get, being charitable and giving the money. You don't get that by even a change of your own mind about how you're going to live your life. You get it by gift. It's the gift of God. So if you receive God's gift of forgiveness in Jesus, that's grace. Okay, it means we don't rescue ourselves, but that's where so many of us stop. Grace is I'm forgiven, given a new life. Well, that's true, but that's just the beginning because the Bible also talks about sending grace. You say, sending grace? What's that look like? It's the next verse in Ephesians 2. For we are God's poem, masterpiece, 
handiwork. Notice, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So grace is about sending. God frees you from your past to send you into your future. And we, we got to remember, if you belong to Jesus, grace is still needed to send you to live the life that God planned and to do the things that God put in store. And there are things that God has in mind for you. Could it be that God, in his mercy, has allowed us all to travel and navigate during this weird time in history to reevaluate what we're doing and why? And one of the beautiful things is God could give you grace to go in a new direction because you realize, you know what? That wasn't fruitful, but maybe this is, and that, that's God's grace. So you could call God's grace in the Bible saving. You could also call it God's empowering presence. What do you mean? Well, Acts 4, 32 through 35, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's I'm going to use this phrase, empowering presence was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. Now that has nothing to do with being saved from sin, because that would make no sense, right? What was the grace there for in the church to meet people's needs? How do we know that? For from time to time, those who own land or, ho or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone in need. I want us to catch this. God's grace is so real that it stirs us to do what God would do. And it seems like God was all about meeting people's needs, right? Read the, read the Gospels. Jesus is there. If someone's in need of healing physically, he heals them. Forgiveness, he forgives them. If there's relational problems, he brings people together and, and deals with them. God's about healing. And so God's empowering presence was so real in the church, this is crazy, that no one in the church had to say, hey, could somebody be generous? Because there's some people in the church who are without. Rather, God's empowering presence was so there that out of their own will, people at the right time said, you know what, I own this, but it belongs to God. And there must be people in our church that have need. And they sold it, and then they brought it. And I love this. Don't miss it. They brought it to the church and said, do with it as, as fits for this people. See, what we want to do today is we want to give a big gift and have our name on the building, right? We want often, our, even our generosity sometimes is just corrupted by our own vanity, and we want our own generosity to be seen by others. But what you see is God's empowering presence giving the ability for people to say, you know what, I'm just going to, it all belongs to God, it's his, I belong to God's church. Here, um, leaders, when there's a need, we want there to be funds. And I, this is grace. We need, we need this kind of grace to grow in our own world where we realize everything belongs to God. Everything is a gift. And wouldn't it be cool if we as God's people just experienced God's presence and didn't have to be told to do what God tells us to do. But the Spirit of God within us was saying, I'm compelled to do this. And it's, it's worship, it's joy, it's grace. And in it, the needs were met. Uh, what does this look like? Romans 12, 6 through 8. We all have different great gifts according to the notice. 
empowering presence given to each of us. So if your grace gift is to prophesy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If your grace gift is serving, then serve. If your grace gift is teaching, then teach. I'm importing the word grace gift because it's implied in the way the sentence is structured. I'm not making this up. If your grace gift is to encourage, then give encouragement. If your grace gift is giving, then give generously. Pause. It doesn't mean only a few people are supposed to give. It implies some people, the way God's wired them, they're called to radical generosity and above and beyond generosity. And for them, it's not even work. It's not even like a thing. It's just like what they've been wired to do. And if, it's, if your grace gift is to lead, do it diligently. If your grace gift is to show mercy, which is to be there in someone's low with the goal of bringing them up, then do it cheerfully. So, so we need to remember that there's sending grace. And so what would it look like for you to realize at the end of reading the Bible, may the empowering presence of the Lord Jesus be with you in your ordinary everyday life. Amen. So be it. If you realize that following Jesus is not just an escape from sin and the past and hell, but it's actually an invitation to a whole new life. What if you live that way? I think we would experience what they got in Acts 4, that God was powerfully working. I want to be that kind of church where people are just doing God stuff and you find out about it afterwards and they're not looking for a little hand clap or a post, but people are just being like Jesus. This is the call, by the way, of the Christian life. And the third dimension of grace, and all three of these matter, is what I would call sharing grace. Why sharing? Because it's kind of rhymey with, with saving and sending, okay? Um, and it's sticky, and you'll remember it, and you have no choice. Sharing grace is like the third dimension, Ephesians 4, 9, and following. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful. I could stop there. I think so much of what we say just isn't helpful. For building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. You know, there is a grace for how we speak to one another, how we relate to one another, how we deal with our differences. And uh, friends, the Bible ends with may the sharing presence of Jesus be with God's people. May, until Jesus returns, which, by the way, is the next thing. The next thing is Jesus will return. Until then, may his people be so filled with words that matter and build up. And boy, is this needed right now. Because with all of our division and all of our variety of opinions, you know what's happened, and I'll say in the church as well as outside the church, is we've We've lost the art of grace-filled speaking. So it has to be, no matter what happens at the end of the day, my opinion is righter than yours. My approach is more wise than yours. It can't be, for whatever reason, your opinion and my opinion differ, and we love and follow Jesus. So can we agree to say, this conversation is not going to bear fruit. You're not going to change my color. You're not going to make me red. You're not going to make me blue. You're not going to make me green. You're not going to make me purple. Can we just like actually say, the fact that I'm a child of God is more important than my political opinion. 
Unfortunately, you know what's happened? We've literally made it the litmus test by which who I will eat with, who I will drink with, who I will accept. So the Bible ends with God stepping on our feet. Not your toes. He's actually stepping on your arches. He's, he's saying to his children, the loving words of the Lord Jesus be on the mouths of God's people, amen. Because God knows as a loving father that his kids sometimes don't know how to talk. So I will tell you, there have been people who have left our community, not because our approach to the Bible is in error, not because our community is unloving, it's because someone in our church has an opinion other than theirs. So therefore, I can't be with that church. And, 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 that, and that happens, but I'm just saying, be careful with your words be, because the graceful words of the Lord Jesus are supposed to be on our lips. I'm not saying you shouldn't share your opinion. Here's what I'm saying. Look at the rest of the passage, verse 30. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Where did that line come out? Right after a conversation about words. Right after, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. It's don't grieve the Spirit with, it, with, whom, with which whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You're going to belong to Jesus forever because of the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him. How do I grieve him? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, for every form of malice. Underline this phrase, be kind and compassionate. Be kind. To one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God has forgiven you. So we can speak with amazing goodness freely given to undeserving people. The definition of God, who is grace, can now reorient the way I speak to other people uh, because of Jesus. So this is something that can happen, it should happen. The question is, is it, I can treat other people who belong to Jesus like they belong to Jesus instead of the other things that we differ on. So wouldn't it be great if we had a grace that was kind, compassionate, forgiving? Sometimes we get it wrong. I get it wrong every single Sunday on something. The only question is, I don't know what I'm getting it wrong on. Every single Sunday, I say something that I'm sure is not right. <laughs> I'm sure of it. But hopefully, we can all grow to maturity and say, like, you know what, let's extend forgiveness. Now, hopefully, I don't get to a point where I'm teaching things that are wrong, but, but what would it look like if we gave each other grace? So right after those lines about grieving the Holy Spirit, Paul continues with this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So God is gracious and God gives you your undeserved, beautiful mercy and you know what God expects from his kids? That we will now reorient our lives in the way of Jesus and act like God. It doesn't mean we are God, okay? So first thing we need to know is I'm gonna mess it up and you're gonna mess it up. But what would it look like if we actually became the model for the world on how people who are different treat one another rather than us acting like everybody else? And everyone else defaults to, I'm right, you're wrong, and here's why. 
And this is a loving word from, for us. In light of all of our differences, I pray that we will love one another in light of all of our shortcomings, in light of all, all of our disappointments and our unmet expectations. We can be loving to one another because the Bible ends with a pronouncement of God's grace. So God is this way and he causes people to live this way. What am I saying? God's grace has the final word. Catch that. It's the final word of the Bible and it's God's final word to you. Not your sin, not your failure, not your shortcomings, not your track record. God's undeserved favor, his lavishing of love on undeserving people is the final word. It's bigger, it's broader, it's God's word to us. For whatever reason, the enemy wants to remind us, yes, for everyone else, but not for you. Can you just hear this from God, not from me? God's grace is bigger. It's just bigger. And if God is like this, he can transform us because he's given us his very spirit, his empowering presence to now live like this. And that's the call for us who follow Jesus. All right, two prayers that I hope will shape our future in light of our study in this book. The first is this, may we be a people who receive grace from God and other people. Not just from God, but other people are gonna extend you grace. I pray that you and I will receive it. That we won't be so stubborn that we don't receive grace from other people. People have been very gracious to me and I'm, I'm grateful for it. I want to receive that and I hope that's for you. And at the same token, I'm praying that we will be a people that extend God's grace to other people because we received it first. So it always begins with God. And until we receive the grace of God, none of what I just said makes any sense whatsoever because this is the kind of life you can't live even if you tried. But if you're in Jesus and you're following him, you not only can try, you can actually grow in receiving grace and then extending grace to others. And I pray we'll live like this. So why don't we do this? We wanna, we wanna begin by asking God to make us to be these kinds of people and we're gonna worship and respond. So why don't you stand on your feet if you're here in the building, if you're at home, I'm gonna invite you to grab the bread and the cup. We're gonna take communion in a few minutes. But as we're doing that, let's, let's now breathe in the grace of God and let's breathe out the grace of God and songs help us to connect with God's presence and grace. So uh, Lexi and Meredith are gonna lead us in a song that is about God's mercy and grace and care. And then we're gonna come back together and we're gonna take it tangibly. We're gonna eat and drink uh, the bread and the cup, which are signposts to God's love and care for you. Lord, uh, our life is not what it should be, but we now thank you that because of your great mercy extended us in the person of Jesus, we can now live as a new people. We can think a new way and we can speak new words. We can, we can act towards people that are different in ways that are in alignment with you. And Lord, we, we confess uh, that's not been our story a lot. But we ask you, Holy Spirit of God, to now reorient my mind and my heart to the way of Jesus so that I can live your life on earth as it is in heaven. So thank you, God, that grace is your final word to me. We pray this for Jesus' sake.
Amen. Let's uh, respond with singing, and I'll be back in a few, and we'll take the bread and the cup together.